As you can see, we are starting a new series called Liar, Liar. And uh, this came from a, uh, a documentary that I saw this week called Minimalism. And uh, it, it, it's not a new religion I'm trying to <laughs> give you right now. You're like, Where, what? he's gone off the deep end. Uh, but the whole idea, it was just fascinating to me to watch these different people talk about in terms of life and uh, about the things don't satisfy and uh, all these types of um, forces that are around us encouraging us to buy more and more and more more and more, to be uh, more this, more powerful, more popular, more and more and more. And what we want to do in this series is point out some of these lies. Uh, This morning, the lie that we're going to expose and look at the scriptures to see if we can't find a solution to it is this lie. You should be er. (laughs) You need to be er. Now, that doesn't make any sense when you just hear me say it that way. But if I were to put a little word in front of that, you need to be thinner, okay? You need to be smarter. You need to be richer. You need to be uh, marrieder, okay? (laughs) You need to be singlerer, okay? Right? There's this constant dripping in our society that we need er. We need more stuff. And so you might look in the mirror and say, I need to be thinner. You might look at your uh, neighbor and say, I need to be richer. You may look at some other thing. But where does that come from? Where does this idea that we need to be er come from? Because we wouldn't come up with it ourselves typically. I wouldn't typically, if, if I were born, you know, I just, I just happened to be born in this recently, and, um, but if I were born 2,000 years ago, we, I wouldn't be saying, I, I, I want this next thing. Like, I'd be saying, I want to make sure the crops grow out of the ground. That's my big thing. I wouldn't be talking about what I was wearing. I wouldn't be talking about what I looked like. I wouldn't be talking about going to Pilates class. I would be talking about just kind of sur- surviving. What, what has happened to us where we just need to be er? Because here's what happens. There's never enough. <laughs> like, er never or rarely says enough. You made it. I'll give you a little example. I, I, when I got out of college, I came right out of college, and I started making $24,000 a year. That's, that's what my salary was. And I remember being at home. Lisa and I were newlyweds. We were in this uh, apartment, and... Uh, and I was going over the budget. I did it by hand, okay, with, with do you guys remember paper? It was awesome. Uh, and so I do it by hand, and I, I'm trying to make our budget work. And I remember thinking this. I, if I just made $27,000, I'd be happy. Like, who needs more than $27,000? You, you like, you know, trying to be rich or something? Like, 20, like that extra $300 or $250 a month was the thing that was going to take away all the pressure. And I got a raise, like pretty, pretty soon, like in six months. And I wasn't making 27000 I was making 28000 That's That's one more thousand than I thought I needed to have. <laughs> so here's what $28,000 did for me. It opened my eyes 
to the fact that I really needed 33,000. <laughs> it spoke to me, right? And so I needed $33,000, and I, uh, after a, some time, I, I got a raise. And I actually made $33,000. And it was almost within two months, very, very clear, that I had sold myself short. That, in fact, what I really needed, okay. And then we bought a house, and then it was like, okay, we need a trillion dollars. I mean, by that time, who, who, who really knows? But, but you see, see, what, see what, how that happens? And you probably have a similar situation. You probably can think about a time when you're like, Lord, you know, I just want, you know, um, a, a mate, you know? And then you're like, man, I should have been more specific about that. Uh, but like, like, you, you know, you, it just keeps going and going and going and going and going. Where does that come from? Let me ask you this question. You don't need to answer it out loud. Does that come from the Lord? Do you think the Lord is there going, hey, Tom, you need to be er? Now, you might push back a little bit and say, oh, he is. He's saying, holier. Mm, what do you think about that, right? Is he? Is that what you're hearing from your heavenly father? That, that that's the, the main thing. Where does this err come from? Because here's the problem. The only way you can get stuck in err is if you're looking around at who's around you. That's the only reason you have a standard of err is because there's somebody that you can look at, that you can point to that is more err than you, okay? And some, you know, you don't want to be est. You don't want to be, you know, the richest. You just want to be richer. But the reason you have that is because there are people around you that you are comparing yourself to. And that makes life very, very difficult. Here's another problem with er. We don't just apply it to ourselves. <laughs> right? All of a sudden, we want a spouse to be a little bit er. <laughs> You guys can fill in the word. I'm not doing it. My wife's here. I'm not filling in anything, okay? Right? I don't want her to be er at all, okay? Oh, you start putting it on other people because you look at someone else's spouse and they're more er than your spouse and you're thinking, you know, you're not, you're not living up to your potential. There's your potential right there. There's your er. He lives right across the street. He, his grass is green er, okay? Right, yeah, you guys, you guys are on it. Right? And then we have kids. And we start looking at our kids. And we start comparing our kids to everyone else's kids. And then we come up and we say, little Johnny Jr., you need to be a little bit more er. See, over there? And the Lord forbid you have like three or four kids. And then they start erring each other, right? <laughs> Here's another problem with er. We don't just pick one standard. So if I look at a family... I want to be richer because they're richer, and I want my spouse to be more er because that particular spouse is more er, and I want the kids to be, that kid is more like this kid. And you see what I'm saying? It's like there's so many different ways to just pile on this pressure upon us. And there, the one other last thing. We are surrounded, and I mean inundated, with people whose job it is, their full-time job, they get a Christmas bonus so that their kid can get the G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip. Their whole 
thing is on getting you to spend money, getting you to buy things, getting you to feel like you need to be er. It's tough. Now, there's good news. Uh, we, uh, there's a theologian that I follow very closely. He doesn't um, write very much, but he speaks quite a bit. And uh, his name is Jim Carrey. And uh, <laughs> he has this wonderfully rich theological quote that he says. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Theologian Dr. James Carey, okay? Now, you can push back and go, well, listen, you know, that's easy for him to say. He's rich and famous. Right. Like, isn't that the person you want to hear from? The person who actually made it? The person who was er, 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 until they got to the final, the top of er, okay? And they're going, it's, it's not worth it. All that striving, all that wanting, all that, that, that chasing is not worth it, he says. Like I said before, er rarely says er enough. Rarely. There's always something else right out of reach. Because what we do with er is we don't pick the thing that's totally out of reach. We don't say, I want to be a multimillionaire. We say, I just want a little bit more. And so we're just always right there, just a little bit more. Well, fortunately, the richest, uh, the, well, yeah, the smartest man who ever lived, smartest, so he gets an S. Uh, by, uh, on, on his uh, smart. We just want to be smarter. He's smart S. His name is King Solomon. He's the son of David who slew Goliath. And he did more in his lifetime than you'll ever do. Um, I mean, I love you guys and I think very highly of you, but he built a temple. Well, just he had like 300 wives. So right there, you know, you're just, you know, can you imagine being told 300 times a day to take out the trash? That... <laughs> Right there, I'm out. Okay. No, he had 300 wives. And, and you have to understand, in that culture, the reason he had 300 wives was not because he thought having 300 wives was a good idea. These were all contract negotiations that he had with other cultures. And so they would, they would have a peace treaty or whatever, and then they would give him a wife, and that would kind of seal the deal. So, um, but needless to say, he was a busy man uh, for a lot of different reasons. And so... Um, stop. Uh, and so... Uh, so this is Solomon who's going to talk right now. He wrote this book called Ecclesiastes. Shoot. Okay. <laughs> and basically what Ecclesiastes is, it's a whole bunch of sayings that when you read them, you go, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and Ecclesiastes is a little tricky because it's not written like a letter like you see like in Corinthians Jeez. Uh, or something like that, where you just kind of read the whole thing through. They're like little bumper stickers. They're, they'd be like tweets. If Solomon li lived right now, he'd be tweeting this, okay? Uh, and so uh, when we read it, but though the wisdom is so rich, and what I'm hoping, what I'm praying about, what I was praying about this week as I was preparing this message, that you would leave here in the truth of Scripture, in light of Scripture, going, you know what? I don't need to be er. If you hear anything I'm about to say for the next 20 minutes or so, please hear this. You are perfectly positioned right now. No more errs, nothing. You are perfectly positioned to be in the 
perfect spot to deepen your relationship with your Heavenly Father. You don't have to be holier. You don't have to be smarter. You don't have to know more of the bible or you don't have to you don't have to have any of that you right now where you are right now your heavenly father says you are good enough for me right now as you sit as you stand so let's go okay so here's ecclesiastes 4 4 and he says this a lot he says and i saw that all toil and all achievement so well you you see a lot of this in ecclesiastes where he'll talk about what he's observed and, and usually what it is, is it's things as he's been, because remember Solomon, kings and queens would travel long distances and give him a lot of money to be able to hear his wisdom. And so he's talked to and he's counseled and he's been around a lot of people. And so Ecclesiastes are things kind of at the end of his life where he's scratching his head and he's going, you know what? You know what I've seen? He says, I've seen that all toil and all achievement Spring from one person's envy of another. Isn't that fascinating? Think about that. It's true, isn't it? It's true. I wouldn't even know. If, if I didn't live in the culture I lived in, I wouldn't even know what I'm supposed to want. I'm taught what I need to want. And then I begin to look at others and I begin to say, okay, how, how is this, you know, how do I compare? How do I compare to so-and-so? And, and it's not just as people, pastors do this all the time. When you get a group of pastors together, they all want to compare how different their church is than the other person's faith. It doesn't matter who you are. This is just Solomon saying, what I've seen is all toil and all achievement stems from one person's envy of another. So I have to ask myself, if I'm being driven to something, who am I envying? Who, who, who do I want to be like in these areas? Now watch what he says. So he says, they spring from one person's envy of another, and then he makes a statement. This too is meaningless. It's in the long-term relationship with God our envying or our comparing to other people is meaningless. Whether your house is a certain size, your car goes a certain speed, your bike is nicer, whatever, your grades. Comparing with someone else, the Bible says, Solomon, the wisest person on the earth, inspired by God. What's amazing about Solomon's story is that when he became king, God actually asked him, said, this is it. You can be whatever, not only whatever er you want, you can be whatever est. I, it's almost like a, it's like a, some of us dream about this, like a genie in a bottle. God actually was like a genie to Solomon. You can be the est. Fill in the blank. What est do you want to be? And he could have picked cuttest. Uh, he could have picked uh, richest. Uh, he could have picked popularist, whatever. He picked, he chose wisest. And God said, because of that, I'm going to give you all that other stuff. So this is the wisest man. Now, potentially, he actually ended up being very, very foolish at the end because of his flesh and because of what he did, but he had the potential. And this is what 
He writes down, this is meaningless. And then watch what he says. A chasing after wind. To, to follow Ur. To, to, to try to keep going after that next thing, that next thing, that next thing is like chasing after wind. When do you ever catch the wind? Never. Ever. It's just the constant chase and it's exhausting, isn't it? Don't you ever get exhausted by just going after that next thing, that next thing, that next purchase, that next relationship, um, uh, that next uh, shot, that next hit of dopamine when you, know, you, 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 you feel like you're popular or you win a contract or whatever it is. It's chasing after wind. Now, you'd think that what Solomon's saying, the wisest man in the world, is just like, and you're probably thinking, well, John, I, I have this thing, it's called rent, and I have to make it, okay? Like, I've got to make rent. And then there's this other stuff called food that I, I really need and, and clothing. Solomon totally gets all that. As a matter of fact, the very next verse says this. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. So what Solomon's trying to get us to do, and I think this is so pertinent, especially in today's society, is manage this tension of what you have to do in order to... You'd be a fool not to go to work. You'd be a fool not to try to provide for your family or, you know, you'd be a fool not to do that. But, but that doesn't seem to be our problem in America is just sitting around. Most of us are working pretty hard. What for? Are there areas in our life where we're chasing after wind, Solomon would ask. And then he has this wonderful Statement, And this is the one in verse 6 that I want you to look at as far as maybe analyzing your life and trying to see which area that this might apply to you. One hand full of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after wind. One hand full of rest. If you have one that's open, one that's empty, one that can be filled by God with maybe not the things. When, our, when we go before God and our hands are clenched with whatever it is that we are holding on to in our lives, we do not allow God any room to be able to give us what we need. And so uh, it's this idea of rest. Now, I, I wanted to take just a little break um, in this to just... For those of you who weren't at our annual meeting, uh, and for those of you on Facebook Live who are keeping up with what we're doing here, uh, you might have seen this letter. Uh, if you did, it's, there's, they're on the back. And this is a letter written by me, and it, um, it's wonderfully written because I had uh, my wife proofread it for me, and she's an English teacher. Um, but in June, July, and August, I'm going to be pursuing rest. I'm going to be pursuing a sabbatical. And so I will not be here or available for June, July, and August. And you say, well, why? Like, what, what is that all about? Well, um, so here's what happens when you're a pastor. You either at some point take a sabbatical or one will be forced upon you, <laughs> usually in the form of you're getting burnt out. And here's, here's why. Uh, uh, when you're a pastor... Uh, I, I, I say it this way. When you have a family, you're deeply devoted to that family. You love that family. And when you, you want to know how they're doing. You want to make sure if they need something, they get it. Uh, and, and so you kind of, you all know this. Anyone who's been in a family, you love your family members. You, you kind of obsess about them a little bit um, because you're so invested. 
I, I have a family of about 300 people <laughs> that I'm invested in. And so the, the, the reason sabbatical comes up and the reason I put it here with rest is that um, the idea comes from Exodus and, and farmers couldn't farm their land on, a, on the seventh year they would let the land rest. And the reason is, is because if you're a farmer, you can pull all the nutrients out of the land and then and you keep going and going and, and it's great, there's great harvests and all that kind of stuff and then all of a sudden the land dies. There's no more nutrients and then the, the, the vegetation and the fruitfulness begins to dry up. And so that's the same that happens with being a, a pastor is that if you keep tilling the land and keep tilling the land, it will soon just kind of dry out. Now, a couple things real quick. I'm not dried out, okay? Uh, there's no crisis. My marriage is fine. I'm not uh, thinking about uh, joining another church or robbing a liquor store or uh, going into another profession or anything like that. All this is is a three-month period for me to rest, to reconnect with my Heavenly Father, and to study. So that when we begin this next chapter in September, in the fall, that the land will have rested and will have been filled with more nutrients and then we can go on. You typically take a sabbatical every seven years um, and for me it's been 11 and a half. So uh, we're, we're just a little bit behind. So I'm taking a sabbatical for 14 years and I'll be back. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> So here's the thing that you can expect. In June, July, and August, we're going to have, uh, that's, it's 12 weeks long, and uh, it'll be, trust me, it'll be over before you know it. If you were here for our Acts series, when we did the book of Acts, that was 12 weeks. So it's just a 12-week series, okay? Uh, we're going to have 12 different speakers coming, much like we did last summer. Uh, wonderful speakers, really awesome. And so you'll have this opportunity to hear from 12 really gifted communicators. And so my prayer... And my hope and my admonition to all of you is to be here during that time. Sometimes there's a little tendency to be like when the cat's away, uh, then, uh, then we'll go, you know, do. But, but we need you here. We really do. And it's better when you're here. And so uh, there'll be more to come. There'll be little packets that explain this a lot better. But I wanted to uh, tell you that this is, this particular verse, one handful of rest is better than two fistful. So we can, I can keep striving and going and going and going and going and going, or I can ha take this time to be able to open my hands and say, God, what would you have for me uh, as we enter into this next chapter? So please be in prayer about that. The staff is working hard to prepare for everything, to make sure everything's buttoned up. But now the cat's out of the bag, and so there you are. Uh, one hand full of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after win. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. Watch this, because uh, what he's going to show you is something that might be um, really applicable to you this week. He says this, there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. Now, you might be thinking, oh, he's single, <laughs> okay? In this particular culture, this was a really big deal. There was nobody to leave an inheritance to. Which, which for you and I, we might think in our culture, great, more for me, I don't know what you think or whatever, but, or 
my kids aren't getting an inheritance anyway. In this particular culture, that is a big deal. You wanted to leave an inheritance that would bless your children and your children's children. You wanted to have this, this legacy, okay? And it was a little different in that culture in that a lot of the families lived together anyway. So um, grandma and grandpa would be there. The, the kids would be all connected. And so you had this kind of estate that you wanted to make sure just kept producing for the next generation and the next generation. But Solomon sees this guy who has neither son nor, nor, um, nor brother. Um, and so there's no place to leave an inheritance. There's no reason to keep accumulating. You, he, you can't spend it. If it's just you, you can't spend it. Yet, there was no end to his toil. He, he, he couldn't stop accumulating. Now, again, please hear me. I, there's nothing wrong with, uh, with being wealthy. Nothing, okay? Uh, throughout Scripture, you see places where someone is blessed by wealth, that God actually blesses them by wealth. I have, very, I have many wealthy friends that are wonderful men and women of God that have accumulated wealth. There's no problem with that. It's the toil, it's the stress, it's the heaping, it's the anxiety, it's the, what if I don't get this? What's going to happen if this, if I don't score this deal, what happens if we lose this? What happens? That toil. And so this guy, there's no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. He was never able to say, you know what? I'm happy where I'm at. I could have easily, easily, when I was first married, making $24,000 a year, I could have absolutely stopped and said, I'm happy where I'm at. I had an amazing wife. We had a roof over our head. We had clothes, and we were eating. Granted, it was top ramen, but we were eating, okay? <laughs> no, it wasn't, it's not even that bad. I could have. When I made $27,000, I could have stopped there and said, you know what? I'm going to be content. Would I stop working? No. Would I stop trying to get promoted? No. I really enjoyed my job and I liked being successful. But I could have been content at 28000 I could have been content at 33 and I could have been content at 40 So what is stopping me from being content now? What is stopping us from being content now? Watch what he says. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. <laughs> and he says, for whom am I toiling, he asks. Like, essentially, why am I doing this? What's the total outcome? Is it outcome that someday I'll be there? Someday there'll be enough? <laughs> Or is it just er, 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 er? And watch what he says. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? Like just being present to enjoy what you actually have now. It's hard to do. I know it's easy for me to stand up here and point to the Bible, right? But when the rubber hits the road, when you're actually at the house and you actually do need this certain thing or it would make it a little easier if you could do this, it's hard to do that. 
He says, this too is meaningless. And then watch, I love this. A miserable business. (laughs) We get miserable, don't we? We live in the richest country in the world. We are the most well-fed. We have the greatest stuff. We're We're the greatest. And yet, statistically, we're horrible. Now, real quick, how do we get through this? This miserable business, because if I don't give you something practical, uh, you're going to miss out. One of the things that's really cool about Jesus' ministry, other than that he was God and he died for our sins, is that when he came down to earth and took the form of a man, he had already experienced eternity, okay? Don't let your heads explode over that, but that's, he existed before the beginning of time, so I can't think about it too hard or else I get a migraine. But he comes down to earth... And, and the thing that just blows my mind is that he was sinless, okay? But he was content. He was like content. Somebody came up to him and said, hey, uh, I'd like to follow you. And he said, he, he, sometimes he referred to himself as the son of man. He says, the son of man has, uh, he says, foxes have holes and birds have nests, uh, but basically I don't have any place to sleep. Content. He, he was attacked by the Pharisees often content. He was surrounded by a bunch of knuckleheads, content. He was single, content. Jesus was content, and he wasn't even sinning. (laughs) Like, he was able to have this relationship. He was present. He, He could sit with you and talk to you and be present with you. One of my favorite stories is the woman at the well where Jesus sits down. His disciples left to go get some food, and he listens to her story. One time he was going to this really famous Pharisee's house. It would have been really good for his ministry. Um... And yet this woman with an ailment stops him, and the Bible says he listened to her whole story. He was present. He was content. I I wrote this down to you. I didn't want to overwhelm you with the, but I just really love this. I heard this this week. You aren't called to arrive. You're called to abide. Like in the process of earning, in the process of of trying to get a raise and trying to get good grades and and trying to date, all that stuff. Can you be present with your Heavenly Father? Can you abide in Christ? Real quick, and then we'll wrap it up. Philippians 4.11. Paul has gone through more than probably any of us will have gone through. And here's what he says. He's thanking them for this gift, and he says... I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be, what's that word? Content, whatever the circumstances. Now, let me tell you this about Paul. This dude was driven. Like, he was a grinder. He was a type A personality. So he's not opposed to that. He's not opposed to the grind. He's not opposed to hard work. He's not opposed to striving. He planted a whole bunch of churches. He was, uh, like, constantly on the move. It's the contentness. Can you be content where you are? He goes, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And wouldn't you rather, this is a hard question. I'd had to think about this a lot. Would you rather be rich (laughs) 
or content. Now, I think about this sometimes because I think, well, if I were rich, I probably would be content. <laughs> Matter of fact, I can almost assure you I'd be content. And then I go back to my theologian, Dr. Carey, and I learn that maybe not. And if I do choose content, why can't I be content now? And every time I'm not content, I miss out on the very next verse. I can do all this through him. I can do all this through him. I can't do it on my own strength. I can't do it by earning. I can't do it by being popular. I can't do it by being thinner. I can't do it by any of that. I can only do it by abiding in Christ and saying, Lord, this is where I'm at right now. Help me to be content where I'm at. And if I have to give up some things or I have to give up some dreams or I have to just take some time to think things through, just show me, teach me. Everything we need is in Christ, in that relationship with Christ. As Audra comes back up, she's gonna lead us through the rest of the song that we, we learned part of it this morning. I wanted to read you a letter that we got from somebody Every year we do a Toys for Tots drive. And uh, I wish I could read all the letters we get. And um, the one we got from the Be the Church I read, uh, that was an amazing one. Um, but I just want you to think about who we were able to help during that Toys for Tots. Probably didn't know many of them. Um, statistically, there's a really, really good chance that they have less than you. Here's what one person wrote. To whom it may concern, thank you, Cece, for a love-filled, amazing Christmas and a positive step into 2017. We were so blessed to have you adopt us for a day of bliss. Hmm. We were so excited, surprised, content, loved, Touched by God's kindness and love. Thank you, Lord, for your helping hand when we least expected it. We are looking forward to attending worship at Living Spring. May your days be blessed with his love. Sincerely, a person. I don't know what your Christmas was like. I know what mine was like. I got way more than this person did. But I wasn't nearly as content. 